it really my story really does begin back in Portugal. Uh, my grandfather um, had uh, ran a, a tannery. So a tannery is a lot like a screw machine company, a tannery or a, a job shop. A tannery basically gets contracts uh, from customers and they take an order and they order raw material, which is uh, where cow hides at the time, and they turn them into uh, finished products. This is Swarfcast. I'm Noah Graff. Today's podcast tells the story of two immigrants, one from Portugal and one from Poland, who built a world-class machining company. Our guests are Victor and Betty DeCruz of DeCruz Manufacturing in Bristol, Connecticut. Today's podcast is brought to you by Graf Pinkert. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graphpinkert.com. That's www.graffpinkert.com. Today we are with Victor and Betty DeCruz. He is the owner and president of DeCruz Manufacturing, and you are the um, the CFA? CFO? CFO. The CFO. Yep, I wear a couple of different hats. The small office. Betty does a lot here, including HR as well. So, Well, welcome to the show, both of you. Betty uh, has the honor of being the very first female on the show. We're sort of embarrassed by that, but she's a, a, a great first. <laughs> <laughs> well, Thank you, Noah. I must say, it's Valentine's Day, so I'm going to give my sweetheart a kiss, okay? Oh, dear. All right. <laughs> oh, he's very comfortable on camera. <laughs> so let's get started um, for... All the listeners out there who don't know DeCruz, why don't you give us a uh, the nitty-gritty of the company? What do you guys make, uh, et cetera? We are a uh, manufacturing company. of um, We make uh, screw machine products, mostly for uh, uh, fluid control, valve uh, products, uh, automotive, firearms, medical, aerospace. Um, just you name it. We're pretty diversified. Uh, we touch a lot of different things. Um, and I guess you can call us a contract manufacturer. That's what we do. Okay. And what what industries do you produce for? Uh, like I said, fluid control. So solenoid valves uh, is, a, is a good part of our, of our business. Uh, we do some work for automotive, uh, firearms, medical, uh, aerospace, um, Lock hardware. We're, we're kind of all over the place. We do a lot of commercial work, mostly commercial work. Okay. So now uh, I want your story. First, Victor, um, give us, start from the beginning. You are from Portugal, yes? Right from the beginning, okay. So I was born in Portugal, yes. And um, we uh, immigrated here in 1967. But... Um, Really, my story really does begin back in Portugal. Uh, my grandfather um, had uh, ran a, a tannery. So a tannery is a lot like a screw machine company, a tannery or a, a job shop. A tannery basically gets contracts uh, from customers, and they take an order, and they order raw material, which is uh, where cow hides at the time, and they turn them into uh, finished products, which was um, mostly the thick soles that you see on uh, – on uh, shoes, good shoes to, or boots or, or things like that. So um, their business was um, was a lot like uh, like any other business. They took an order and they made uh, turned uh, raw material into a finished product. 
But uh, so back in, uh, my grandfather ran this business with my dad, and uh, they were probably running it from the 1930s all the way to the uh, 1960s. My grandfather passed away in 1962. And so uh, at that time, my father was running the business by himself. Um, and uh, it was kind of a tough period for them. It was, uh, uh, the industry was going through a slump. There were a lot of um, plastics and rubbers coming into the business at that time that had an impact on them. And so the business needed to be restructured, and my father really was not the right person for it. He ran the business, had run the business with my, with my grandfather, but my father was not the technical guy. And, um, and in our town, which was a very small town, there were... What, what, was, what was the town? The town was the Miage de Sima, which is close to Santaray, just uh, north of Lisbon. So if uh, hopefully, uh, I doubt if any of, you, of your viewers would know where Miage de Sima is. But I'll tell you, it is a town that's pretty much on the map. I'll tell you later. Um, <laughs> so so, um, so this, um, this business um, you know, had its struggles. Just like today, they had trouble finding help. Because there were no other tanneries in the in the town, and and uh, so they were basically um, bringing in workers from you know ten ten miles away or so, which was not that big of a deal. But in that time, it was not very not very many people even had cars. So um, so my father, my father was struggling. It was a it was a struggling business at that point. But we li- we we led a good life. We lived in a a great home. Uh, my mom was a stay at home mom. And, um, but my father had, um, he had, he had been married, um, once before. So he had, he had a first wife and his first wife was, um, was American born. She was Portuguese, but American born. So that gave us the opportunity and gave my father the opportunity to move the business here. Um, he had, my father had a, a, a daughter and a son with that woman and, and they were here already. So he wanted to bring the family together. So um, we immigrated here in 1967. And so uh, we came from a place where we were, well, we had a good standing life. We had, um, we're kind of, I'm not going to say we were rich, but we were sort of the upper, um, the upper crust of that town. We knew everyone, everyone knew us, my mom, like I said. Um, so we, you know, we, we came here and uh, it was totally different. We're leading the life of uh, immigrants. And um, so I was put in a school that I didn't know how to speak English. Um, and it was um, uh, hard. Uh, it's hard when you go through. Uh, I was 11 years old. So from the period of 11 to 13 or 14 years old was, was pretty tough on. Do you think that was good for you? It might have been. I really don't know. Uh, not at the time, that's for sure. Um, it, it, it was very difficult because... Um, you know, it, it, it gave me, um, I, I was, I was, I was always coming from behind. I was always the one that, um, well, not the one, but uh, I never felt like I was on top of the class. Um, you know, you're an immigrant kid and you basically, you get looked over. And, um, but I went through, I went through high school. I went through, um, I had a, you know, I had, a, I was a good student, but, um, my father, at that time, I just bought a house. At the time that I was graduating from high school, he had just bought a house. And where were you? What state? Or We're in, in Connecticut, Hartford, Connecticut. So I graduated from uh, Hartford Public High School. And at that time, I could have gone out to college, but I really just didn't want to put my father through the burden of putting me through college, since at least, uh, especially since he had just um, you know, bought his first house and so on. And, you know, for, for the first few years that my dad was here, we're basically paying off some debts that we had back from the business in Portugal. Instead of going on to college, I took on an apprenticeship program for a screw machine apprenticeship. Hmm. And that company called the Jacobs Chuck Manufacturing Company. How did, what did your father say when you did that? Was he, was he happy about that? Yes, 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 he was. I mean, he, he had given me the opportunity to go to college. My father had always said, look, if you want to... If you want to be somebody, if you want to be a an engineer or a doctor or this or that, you know, I'll put you through college. But I had no, I had no such ambitions. I was just, I was just a kid going through college, and I didn't really know where I wanted to, what I wanted to do with my life. But I did get an opportunity to uh, enter into an apprenticeship, which I thought was a, 
an opportunity to learn, to, to, to learn a skill. And um, as a matter of fact, I had been offered another job just before that, which was with the Pratt Whitney uh, Aircraft Company here in, uh, in uh, East Hartford, Connecticut, which is uh, one of the largest, you know, manufacturers of, of, of aircraft engines. And that could have been a really good, good future for me. But um, I decided not to take that job because I didn't want to get stuck in a job. Somehow or another, I always had aspirations of owning a business uh, right from the start. And I didn't want to get stuck in a job. I wanted to go learn something and, and see what the future could, could bring for me. And Betty, what is your story growing up? Oh, dear. <laughs> um, well, I also um, came from somewhere else, like Victor. Um, my family uh, came from Poland. Uh, we came in 1966. I was six years old. And so Victor's um, story is similar to mine, except um, my, f my family did not own a business. Um, my family, um, my parents were farmers. And so um, uh, we came here for a better life, like a lot of people. And um, Victor and I met in Hartford. We graduated from the same high school. Um, we had um, close friends similar close friends. We were in the same wedding. <laughs> so, Interesting. Our paths, so our paths crossed. And as, and as I said, we, we had similar backgrounds, although <laughs> only in America could you meet coming from different countries like that. But that made I, you gravitate towards each other. You think you both being immigrants? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And the first time that I uh, visited Portugal because uh, I because I hadn't been back to Poland since I was twelve, and we went soon after we were married. And I remember just having some really strong sentimental feelings about the people that I met and his hometown because they reminded me of of my family back back home. Um, you know, they're salt of the earth people. Um, people that um, are simple but kind and warm, and um, you know, I connected with them immediately. Interesting. So then, uh, then what happened, Victor? What what um, what transpired for you to start the the business? Is this where we left off? Yeah. So this was 1974, and uh, and I you got, entered you got married. When did you get married? Well, we're, we're right around the corner from there, so I'll, I'll keep, you know, I'll tell the whole story. Okay. So, so, we, so I got into the, um, so I got into the apprenticeship program, and, um, and it was a night shift. Um, it was a very hard uh, shift. It was like, um, it's like 5 o'clock in the afternoon to 4 o'clock in the morning, and it was terrible for my uh, social life back then as an 18-year-old, but... Um, you know, I did that. To me, those were my college. Those were my college years. Um, I, I, um, of course, I didn't want to work that night shift, so I was looking for another job. And uh, then the blizzard of 1978 came, and for three days, the whole state of Connecticut was shut down. During that time, uh, I answered an ad looking for screw machine people, and I happened to at that point. Um, walk into a shop, small shop of about six or eight people. And, um, and I looked around. I said, what do you guys do here? And they said, well, we make parts and we sell them. We're a job shop. Like, wow, you guys actually make parts <laughs> and people buy them from you? I said, I, I, want, I want to do this. So I want to, get, I, want to come, I want to come to work here. And I took a job making a lot less money than what I was making at the time because um, you know, the apprenticeship program that I was in, it, it, was, it was good paying. And it was um, uh, it was a night shift, and you got you got to pay to work lot, lots of overtime. So, what were you making at the other shop? I was making seven dollars and fifty cents an hour. No, I mean, what were you making? What were you producing? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's cut that one out. Um, <laughs> no, I did. It's funny. So I was. So we were making parts for um, uh, for Jacob's uh, trucks, and this other this other uh, the, at the job shop. We were just making all kinds of things, bearing parts and, and, and you know, normally what a job shop does. Um, but so I, I, was, uh, I was there a couple of years. And um, meantime, I think I was going out with Betty already. We already had 
Um, we already had um, started a relationship, and um, and then you know I was pretty unsure what I was going to do with my future. I really was not at that point. I was not um, totally committed to owning my own business. I, I I was even thinking about going going back to college um, and so on. And and um, but then a guy that I had worked with at Jacobs Chuck came in and started working part-time where I was. And were, we started you, were you a machinist? Were you a setup I was, I was guy? A setup, I was a setup guy. I was a setup guy. I was, you know, I was a 21-year-old, 22-year-old setup guy. And um, and I must have been pretty good because, you know, um, I, I was doing well. Uh, and this, uh, so this friend of mine came into work and we started talking. We just started saying that, hey, if these guys can do it, if we put, our, if we put, um, you know, we can we can do it as well. Uh, he was a little bit older. He was maybe about ten years older than me, so he was a more seasoned guy. And um, and uh, we started having these conversations. And soon after, I found a place for sale. I found a small job shop that was for sale. It was a it was an old guy and, a, and an old scruffy dog. And um, <laughs> <laughs> there was nothing there but two Model sixty New Britain Grillies. And uh, we made the guy an offer and and. And more, much more than what it was worth, and he took it, and uh, um, and we uh, we started. Betty was right there from the beginning, right, uh, right from the very start of the plans. Uh, Betty's been uh, my biggest, uh, was my supporter, and still is my biggest supporter. So I have to say, uh, not because she's here, but um, you know, uh, we were definitely a team, and we've done this together. So, um, but it, it um, you know, we soon afterwards had had children and Betty's, we had three daughters and uh, Betty's focus was always on, uh, on the family, on the kids. And I, uh, myself and Joe, who was that, that partner, we started the business and we ran the business and we, um, and we ran it together for a very long time. Betty did not come into the business until much later on after we, after I split the partnership up with Joe. Okay. Okay. And, Betty, what's it like to work with Victor, your husband? <laughs> well, uh, I think we both enjoy it very much. Uh, I certainly do. Um, so I was working at the bank while Victor was working um, at at the job shop, um, and you know, I was I started as a teller and I became teller manager, and then I was a personal banker. And um, did you I, go to college? I did not. I went to Manchester Community College for one semester, and then I took some night classes at uh, American Institute of Banking. But other than that, um, no, uh, I did not. Um, you know, we started having a family right away, and I worked full time for a little while and then part time. And banking, um, after the partnership split up in '94. Um, Around that time, the bank wanted me to work on uh, Saturdays and with young children and soccer games and practice, uh, Victor and I decided that I would come in on my two days off to see whether we could work together and whether it would be good for our marriage to work together. That's smart to do a test. Yes, we, we tested that out and um, I found Victor to be very, you know, very um, easy to work with. Uh, he was very, no, he was very supportive. Um, and surprisingly, he was much more focused on customer service than we were at the bank, <laughs> believe it or not. That's at the interesting. Bank, yeah, at the bank, um, our sole focus was to sell products, whether you needed them or not. You know, if someone came in to open an account, uh, well, we 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 were supposed to make sure that they left with you know uh, a, a debit a card and you know a couple of other products in order to ensure that they stay. And I, you know, and, and then seeing how Victor approached customer service to me made so much more sense because he took pride in his work and. He didn't mind um, having to, you know, do something, some rework or he, his whole focus was to make sure that 
his customer was happy and was satisfied with the work that he did. And I was just really impressed with that. And I, I just had a, um, a sense of pride when I was there. We had, um, our branch had, had a new remodel and we had beautiful wooden desks and, and, you know, and Victor was working out of an old industrial building and it didn't phase me one bit because um, what he was doing in that um, space was so much more than what we were doing, you know, in a, in a fancier office. Um, you know, they were turning bars of metal into these amazing parts. And so I, I was happy to be there and, um, and it was easier for him. I think once was, I joined him, it was a great addition to the company actually, because, uh, by having at that time, at that point I was running the business by myself and I really needed somebody to kind of sort of watch, just watch the office so that I could concentrate on, on the shop floor. I was very much hands-on at that point. I, um, I used to get involved in you know, all the pro problem solving, uh, setting up certain jobs and so on. So uh, having someone to just uh, manage the, manage the office was a big, big deal for me. And it really helped out. And also, um, the other difference that it made, um, having a partner before, it, it's one thing to take risks um, that are your own, because mm -hmm. if, if something fails, well, uh, you only have yourself to blame. Um, and, and so, you know, Victor was reluctant to um, make certain investments or take certain steps with a partner. Um, his partner was older. He had college-age kids at that time, I think. Yeah. And so. Well, that was the first phase of our business, which was tough because, like I, like like Betty is is saying, we diff we really had um, different um, different objectives. Uh, he, you know, he basically had been putting his kids through college, and he didn't want to go out on a limb too much. He didn't want to take on debt. Um, and. And when we split the partnership up and Betty came on, we just looked at things totally different. Right. You had just, you you had some some chutzpah to go go after, you know, yeah. be a little more aggressive. Well, where where he was looking to take money out of the business, I didn't care at that point, and we that was not our focus. Our focus was just to provide good service, make the best parts that we could, great customer service, and great um, you know upgrade our equipment our skills and so on. We just, we took, kind of took the money out of the equation. Not that it's not important, but we really did. We really just focused on, on doing the best job that we could, getting the best customers that we could and so on. And that paid off because eventually we started to invest. We started to buy new equipment and, um, and it just, it just kept going. And that's, that's what, that's what's made us uh, turn the business around from a multi-spindle, uh, job shop to mostly Swiss and CNC equipment uh, that we have today. Tell me, Victor and Betty, do you have some of the same customers that you did 20 years ago? We still have our very first customer, yes. Really? You have your very first customer? Yes, we do. And, and can I also share, yeah. because I'm very proud of this one fact. So when I came on board, um, I started cold calling because that's something that we did at the bank and we still have that customer that I, yeah, my first customer. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Would you like to share who those customers are? <laughs> you don't have to, but. Well, I just say they're part of the Danaher group. Well, they're, part, they're part of the what group? Danaher group. Well, I and can share mine. I can share, and, I, and I can tell you that um, Jacob's truck. Um, the company where I had um, uh, where I where I had done my app apprenticeship at, they became my biggest customer. Interesting. Soon after that, um, they became my biggest customer. Uh, they they had a plant in South Carolina, and we eventually set up a plant in South Carolina to be close to them. So we have we have very you know long history with them. Um, they've never been able to get rid of me. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know. I'm still doing, it's still part of the same group. Uh, companies have changed names and, and so on. Um, yeah, but um, but it's been, it's just been a very long, I, I still go back to the same plant and people know me there. I'm selling parts there. I get called in on projects 
You um, don't have a place in South Carolina still, do you? No, we don't. No, we uh, that was that was how myself and uh, and my partner uh, split up the partnership. Was that um, we set up a plant down there? I stayed in Connecticut. Our objective was to diversify the company because that customer was like ninety percent of our business. And um, so, in order to do, try to diversify, I stayed up here. And he went down there, but you know. Uh, partnerships are like marriages and marriages. You can't have a marriage that's, that's uh, 900 miles apart. And that's what happened. That, that partnership fell apart rather quickly. Uh, and, um, and we wound up splitting up the business. He's, he stayed in South Carolina and I took uh, Connecticut and that's when Betty came on. And so we we basically started from nothing again when, um, when we split up uh, because we had very little as far as equipment and as far as even business. But, we were able to to build a business up, and uh, and you were using what seven sixteenths Acme's mostly. No, uh, no, we were mostly um, you know New Britain Gridleys and Acme's up to two inch. To I even had a three inch Acme at some point. Listeners, do you have an idea for a future episode of Swarfcast, or is your company interested in advertising on the Swarfcast podcast? If so, please send us an email at swarfcastpodcast at gmail.com. That's swarfcastpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, I'm interested in the move from the screw machines, uh, the the traditional multi-spindles, to the Swiss machines. Uh, tell, tell us... Uh, when you made this shift, uh, and how it's worked out for you, and and now how you develop your talent. Well, um, that was a very difficult transition, as you can as you can imagine. I did not grow up with you know CNC Swiss machines or even Swiss machines at all. So I really didn't know anything about Swiss machining, uh, sliding headstock machines, uh, but. You know, that was the thing to do, was, was to go after CNC Swiss. Uh, Betty and I talked about it many times. There were, there were jobs that we were doing in, in multiple operations where we could be doing in one. So uh, eventually we decided to, to go that way. When we did, the problem was that I knew nothing about, um, about you know, setting up programming, anything. And I really didn't want to either because... I could see that, you know, I was probably not going to be able to because that's something that if you're going to do that, you have to do that every day. And um, and and so I, we hired someone. And and as we grew, we went from one to two, three, four machines. Now, that we were very dependent on this person. And that was a big problem because all of a sudden now we had an employee that basically um, – had us by the throat because... Um, but he was good, I'm assuming. He was good. Well, he was good, and, but he, you know, he had all this responsibility. And it was just very hard for us to find, to find help. You know, at that time, it was just hard for us to find help. We could not, we could not hire um, an experienced person, especially... Are you talking like 1990s or... Yeah, 92. Uh, I thought it was... Well, well we right, right, first right, right. I would say close to 2000. Uh, the thing was that we were in an old industrial building, um, and so our workplace was just not not very attractive to attract you know young people that would come in and and, and, and people to do this kind of work. Um, and 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 as we tried, this guy, this person, who had us by the throat, would basically um, you know would was not very receptive to bringing in uh, uh, to bringing in other other people. So so we had a big problem with that. Uh, eventually, we decided to uh, move to a, you know, to, to make a move. And that's when we bought this building here in Bristol, uh, in, in Bristol, which is about, you know, 20 minutes away from where we were. Uh, but, you know, it had much better conditions, um, freestanding building, nice building. Where so we were you got, before? Hartford? We, we were in New Britain. You were in New Britain, running New Britain's. Yeah, New Britain, running New Britain's with, uh, yeah, uh, which has made it kind of easy because you could find rebuilders there, you know. So that <laughs> so, is that is where I didn't even know that 
New Britain came from New Britain. I had never even heard of New Britain. It makes total sense. There is a New Britain, and all machines came from New Britain. <laughs> um, but so we moved to uh, Bristol. From, we went from 10,000 square feet to 30,000 square feet. And uh, that was kind of a struggle, you know, trying to set up an operation here. Uh, it was 2005. Um, quickly, 2007 came about, and that's when we really started feeling the, the, the slide, the, the Great Recession was, you know, we started feeling in 2007 for some reason. But we were able to, we parted ways with that guy that wanted to, uh, that had us by the throat. <laughs> and uh, we parted ways with him, and... Uh, uh, and we started bringing in others, and um, and I think things started to click. Um, we brought back um, a guy that um, I had worked with before um, that actually um, was a buyer at my very first customer. So uh, Don Pelletier, who's a guy that um, that I've had a history with for a long time, and he's really good in sales. So we brought him. We brought him in. And just, you know, things started to click uh, for us. Uh, we started to get um, better help. Um, again, our facilities helped with, with that. Um, we were able to, um, we were able to just, you know, uh, really get into a customer that uh, had a lot of good business for us. And, and because of the recession, one of their top suppliers uh, wasn't doing well. And, and not only that, but... All of a sudden, we had this great equipment, you know, the CNCs. Not all shops had as many machines, as many, uh, as much good equipment as we had. And I think we were just a little bit above the rest when it came to what, that. So, what did you have, citizens? Uh, well, we started off with Sugamis, and then we had, then we started buying Stars. Uh, but we also had some other, you know, we also had a Miano lathe and some other lathes, and hmm. we, were, we were just doing mostly. Um, uh, mostly CNC. We're transitioning just about everything to CNC, and you know we're competing against guys that, that had we're doing stuff in Brown and Sharps and Davenports and so on, and they just couldn't couldn't match us. And we were taking parts that we were doing on multis, where we were making blanks and then running secondary ops, and and we were just taking these parts and getting them off complete in one operation, and the parts were beautiful. So it was just a, it was just um, um. It was just good all around. I mean, we we had um, um, we had a good transition because uh, we we anytime we bought a machine, we weren't just buying a machine for a part. We were buying a machine that you know for a series of parts. We could always take a take a part from uh, the multis and and run it on the Swiss and uh, run it off complete in one operation. So we had we had good parts that fit into that mold. And Lloyd, to your to your point about um, how we attract or develop talent. Um, I think for us, you know, we obviously have always used the traditional um, ways of advertising and occasionally doing the um, temp agencies, but what really um, started to turn things around for us when we participated, believe it or not, in Manufacturing Day. Uh, we had gone through a rebranding in 2015 and we were celebrating our 35th uh, uh, work anniversary in um, uh, 2016, and we wanted to do something uh, in recognition of that. So we decided to do an open house for two local high schools um, using the Manufacturing Day um, platform. And it, it was very successful. Um, the resources that they have available to shops um, worked out really well for us. And, um, you know, we spruced up our place and, and, you know, there was a certain excitement and energy uh, when we, when the kids came through and we've been doing that every year since. Um, and out of that first manufacturing day event, we had um, five, five students that were interested in working for us that summer. And then two um, have stayed on. One is in a, a an apprenticeship program, and the other one is pursuing an engineering degree at a local community college, um, working for us almost full time. So, uh, and since and, that, and the other three are going to college, and they still came back this summer. They're going to college, and they still came back to work um, during the summer. So, um, out of the five, two are still working for us. Two. 
um, returned two summers. Um, mm-hmm. One uh, did not return, but there there were you know family issues that he was dealing with. So um, that was very successful. Um, this last year, uh, each year we uh, choose to have a, a a closed event, which means by invitation only. And this last year, um, two other institutions reached out to us to see if we would host them and we were happy to include them and um, that was that was also great um, because one was an alternative high school that works with CCAT which is uh, Connecticut Center for Advanced Technologies and um, they reached out to us they had a candidate in mind they thought he would be a good fit for us Uh, He scored well on the modules. So he hadn't even come through the tour, but because the educator had, and she knew um, the type of environment we had, um, you know, she she wanted to place someone with us. So um, we've just been really um, fortunate in developing these relationships with uh, technical schools, uh, community colleges, uh, we are happy to um, offer paid internships. Sometimes they, um, uh, you know, develop into a, a job offer, and other times it's just uh, part of their uh, school work experience. But for us, um, that that's been, I think, uh, really um, helpful. How many people work there? We have 40, 45, around 45. 45, okay. Yeah, my impression is that your business is more than just a place that people uh, come, get, earn a paycheck, and go home. It strikes me that you have developed a culture, an atmosphere, uh, a caring place. Do you think that's true? Absolutely. That's that's. That's without a doubt. And, um, you know, you've heard our keynote speaker, uh, Brent Robertson, just the other day at Management Update, uh, talk about this. And it's absolutely true. And really, he was a big part of that because uh, up until then, as I had said before, when Betty came out of the business um, and and she took a certain segment away of things that I wouldn't have to worry about. And, um, and having that, having her touch in the business was just, uh, tremendous. So it's that's been there for a long time. And we went from where we really went from where it was, you know, it was a guy thing, you know, it was like, we were tough on people, you know, um, we were just we were just tough. And, and when Betty came on, we softened up, um, you know, a lot more um, family, oriented. family, not just family oriented, but a lot, you know, we, we try to work with people and try to, um, um, you know, try to create an atmosphere where people are happy and people want to work here, and and that's that's a large large part of that goes um, goes to um, to Brent because when we did our, our our rebranding, we 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 dug deep into ourselves and 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 as he you know as he would say we we worked on creating the world that we want to create for ourselves. So you uh, you you heard of Brent Robertson and then you said. I want to. We want to get this guy to coach. How? How did? Tell everybody a little bit about who Brent Robertson is and and how things transpired. So, if I can speak yeah. to that, um, we actually found him on the internet. Uh, believe it or not, um, we. So, so prior to the rebranding, um, we were in a position where you know we had really great equipment, but we had an. And, uh, a little bit of an antiquated name and an old website, the original website from 1995. Mm-hmm. So when we had customers come and visit, um, they would be surprised and, and you know, just so impressed with what we had on the shop floor. And we we were used to that. We, we liked the, the surprise well, effect, I think. Well, and... Um, so- most people would see our name, would see us, and they would think that you know we were out there running, you know, Brown and Sharps or or uh, old type of equipment. When because of the name C and M School Machine Products was the name, and um, but but that you know that was um, that name change was really um, just something that came out of the whole the whole thing. Yeah, that that um, wasn't the original intent. When did you change the name? 
during the rebranding in 2015. Um, oh, okay. So we just found, um, Brent worked with a company named Fathom, and we found um, them on the internet. They were local, and they had um, worked with Jacobs. So when we saw that that was one of their his customers, we said, well, he knows manufacturing. We wanted to work with someone that um, knew our industry and could, could speak to what we do. So... Um, so he came in and he gave, gave us a great presentation, and we, yeah. we went with him. And um, and too. most importantly for me, um, I know um, when we were working with him, um, you know, before before the rebranding, it it, it just felt very um, what what we were doing um, felt very difficult, you know. Um, uh, because the well the rebranding but also you know just our focus was always on the parts and and getting the work out and it was always so well, challenging so challenging and and when we did um the the exercises with Brent um focusing on mission vision and and just the the th- the, uh, the future for the company it was the first time that we had ever um uh, looked that that closely outside of what we do. Um, we we were just always concentrating on the work, and so for the first time, we were analyzing ourselves. And well, um, one segment of that was community involvement and community outreach. And I think that that uh, that also goes a long ways for our recruiting efforts and things that we did in order to be more community oriented. Um, one of the things that right now that's happened as a result of the manufacturing day and all the things that we do, Betty's on, um, you know, I'm on the board of the PMPA, Betty's on the board here um, of the, the, the Chamber of Commerce, she's on some committees and so on. It's like we're getting our name out there and people are looking at us as a desirable place to work at, which is fantastic. Because Yeah, that's got to feel great. Because just the other day, Betty went out to a, a, a technical advisory committee meeting at a local school, and um, I think she I think she got the best kids out of the whole program because we had we had four fantastic kids here, and three of them wound up coming to work for us, and um, you know to get the cream of the crop. It doesn't get any better than that. So well, I, I think I think what happened there is you know you have to. Um, take advantage of the opportunities that are presented to you um, and, and we've made time for them. So if we know that uh, a technical high school is hosting an open house uh, and this was a meet the students event, maybe in the past we wouldn't necessarily have taken the time to go. And now we're making time for that because we, we find that it all makes a difference. Um, manufacturing is is a, a desirable industry again that's that's the sense that i have that's the feeling that i i i have and what we try to promote as a company and and well. it's what you know like, like manufacturing day um their goal was to change the perception of manufacturing to the public and and i feel like that's working i don't know if it's because of the people that i'm i'm interacting with but um you know, the technical schools used to be for uh, kind of like a last resort or maybe for problem kids, um, I think. And now they're, they're, it's a little bit more competitive. Um, the kids that want to pursue engineering will end up going to a technical school and then uh, continue that course. You know, I, I'd like to say something. Um, I think as I listen to you both, uh, you are embodying something that is significantly changing now in the industry. Uh, for so long, all I heard was negativity. I can't get people. The only people who apply are druggies. Uh, nobody can pass a drug test. Uh, I can, they come in, they're gone in two weeks. I would hear this incessantly. And I'm thinking to myself, you're looking in all the wrong places. There's something wrong here. And there is talent out there. And a lot of it is in the attitude of the uh, owners of firms 
and what their expectations are. Yeah. And what you're saying is explanatory of how you're looking for the best, and because you're looking in the right places, you're finding plenty of people who fit the needs of your company and who find a place to grow. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Absolutely true. But, you know, um, the whole, there's a narrative going on right now that, you know, manufacturing is the place to be and that we should. And so that's, it's not just what we're doing. It's, it's, the, it's, it's what's going on out there. And, uh, and even here, uh, Betty, like I said, Betty's affiliated with the Chamber of Commerce. And they're, they're all about, um, you know, workforce development, workforce development, all about workforce development. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, so the kids hear that. And, and so, you know, whereas uh, where they might have been become, we have one in particular that, uh, that his future probably would not have been that great if he didn't get a job after high school. Let's just put it that way. And, and also the idea of uh, going to college not knowing what you're going to do and ending up with $100,000 worth of school debt now is uh, becoming more obvious to kids and parents. And therefore, the idea of a manufacturing job that might be an interim job or it might be a gateway to another more interesting or long-term opportunity, or it might be a fulfilling place in and of itself, is becoming a, a narrative that is becoming more common. Yes, and, and it is. One, one other thing, it too. Makes, makes a difference. Um, I was at a school-to-work panel discussion this morning at Yard Metals, uh, speaking about this very topic, and um, a gentleman from Quinnipiac University came up, and we were spot- speaking, and he said something that I think is something that Victor has talked about for a long time. And it's, you know, he, we don't want the, uh, the choice um, to choose manufacturing to be less than, you know, at some point we want it to be equal to other opportunities that children have. Victor has talked about uh, um, a four year degree that maybe is not necessarily engineering, but manufacturing related. For those students that want to choose manufacturing, but also want to have the college experience. So, you know, um, we have to kind of take a look at at it in a very broad way. Um, You know, there's on-the-job training, there's uh, engineering, but there's also, you know, for those families that can afford college, want their child to have the college experience and you know want want their outcome to be equal right. um to, to have those opportunities in manufacturing i i know we have to be competitive you know our wages have to be competitive in order for us to provide a competitive product um but you know uh, we i think you we're, know we're this we, is something that we need to strive for what we need to strive for is to uh, be able to attract the kid that's in high school or the kid that's in college, but but the the one that's in the upper upper part of the class and not the bottom part of the part of the class. Kind of like you guys that didn't go <laughs> didn't go to yeah. college. Right. Yeah, you know yeah. Noah and, and Lloyd. And that's that's been the problem because you know when you continuously just attract the bottom the bottom of the barrel, then you wind up with the druggies and the ones that can't can't come into work you know, two days in a row and so on and so on. Um, what I've been saying is that, you know, kids have, there's, they have peer pressure and the peer pressure is to go to, go to college is to go to a four-year college and, 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 and parents on top of that. Um, and, you know, parents, most parents, they want their kids to go to college. Are your kids in college? All my kids went through college, yes. Well, they, they you, know, you know how that goes, um, yeah. Lloyd and Noah. For for parents that, you know, for individuals that didn't go to college, that was the benchmark for us. We wanted our children to go to college. So well, we did the same thing. We didn't three, want our kids to go to manufacturing. We wanted, to, we wanted them <laughs> to have the four-year Love college it. experience. But why? what I'm saying is, why can't there be a four-year college experience? And you come out and you'll be like a top-level 
you know, manufacturing. A buyer or, you know. Um, well, it doesn't have to be a buyer. It could be a machinist. Or a, a machinist. machinist. Well, that's uh, what we saw when we interviewed the people at Purdue. Well, the reason is because you can't do that stuff unless you have experience. That's the reason, right? Well, so what is, uh, what is uh, Pl- Parrish Caster's background? So Parrish is our son-in-law. Okay. Uh, and his background. Um, well, tell everybody who, who he, he is. This is sort of out of. Okay. Parrish Caster is our, is, uh, is our project manager. Um, he's uh, our son-in-law. And both him and my daughter, Chelsea, uh, work at the company. Although my daughter has not been very active lately. She's got, they have three children together. And so, um, but we're very much still expecting her to come in and, and be the Betty and Victor team at some point. Um, but Parrish is, um, of course, a fine young man that we love as our son-in-law. But um, he has a lot of promise and he's been you know, learning the business, and, um, and he's and a great he, young man. So and he and Chelsea met uh, at St. Anselm College, so he's a graduate of St. Anselm College uh, with a criminal justice degree. Uh, he was also recruited by um, the Florida Marlins. Um, wow! For what? For baseball? What? I mean, yeah. does he is he play or yeah, he management for, or? He no, he played. Uh, he played. Um, you know, the Double A league. I think it was for. Uh, two or three years, and then he decided that he'd rather have my daughter and uh, <laughs> come up here. So we're very so happy. So joined the major leagues. <laughs> he he set a, a school record for. Um, well, his claim to fame was that he struck out twenty or twenty-one batters in a in a college game. So wow, he was picked up. He was a left-handed pitcher, uh, so he was picked up and. Um, and who knows? He could have maybe he could have had a good career, but this career here is going to be even better. <laughs> <laughs> Great! Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. You're thanks, welcome. thanks, guys. Thank you for the opportunity, and uh, thanks so much for letting me be the first. <laughs> <laughs> the f- breaking the glass ceiling. <laughs> I appreciate it very much. Good luck to you with future podcasts. Thank you. Hey, everybody. First, we just want to thank you for listening to the podcast. It boosts our egos, and of course, your ears are the reason we do this. But it would be great if you could subscribe and leave a review, as it'll help other people discover it. Talk to you soon.